1: There are other ways to connect your phone to your vehicle speakers too. You can see detailed instructions when you Google ways to listen to vision.
0: However and wherever you listen to vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music
1: will help you look to God daily.
0: The Story
1: When I was married to Graham, I helped him with sorting out medicines and ordering medicines for the patients at the leprosy home and I used to go out with him, you know, on Sundays I'd go out to the villages, but I wasn't actively doing missionary work per se. It was only after he died that I sort of took over his role.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Gladys Staines was born in Ipswich, Queensland, and went on to serve as a missionary to people affected by leprosy in India, along with her husband, Graham. Sadly, tragedy struck, and her husband and two sons were killed in 1999. A movie has been made about this incident called The Least of These. Today, Gladys will share her life journey and about the events leading up to her husband and son's deaths. Gladys is chatting with Eric Scatterbo via the telephone from her home in Queensland. Gladys, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Glad
2: to have you with us, and we want to find out the Gladys Staines story today, so please tell us about your background.
1: Um, Yes, I was born in Ipswich, I was born into a a very strong Christian family, Mm -hmm. and mum and dad were very particular in teaching us scriptures, Um, mum used to read us missionary stories, and all of our Sunday school, we went to Sunday school and church, and all of our yearly anniversary prizes for Sunday school were missionary books. So that, that really impacted my life. But I remember one in particular that my mum, she sat on the bed and she was reading um, the story of Pandita Ramabai Mukti, um, Pandita Ramabai, I should say, in India and how she rescued young girls and how that work which is now known as Mukti started. Mm-hmm. And with tears in her eyes she sat and read us that story and that had a huge impact on us, on yeah. me. So, I continued on just had a happy childhood. But when I was at about the age of thirteen i I was at the little local congregational church had arranged a like a two week mission and had invited someone from Sydney to come and speak every night and As I heard that i I was really challenged by the fact that. Even though I was born and brought up in a Christian family, that didn't make me a Christian, mm-hmm. and that I had to have a personal experience of Jesus Christ.
2: And did you have any idea that one day you'd become a missionary?
1: Um, no, I didn't. But I think having been brought up on missionary stories, I, I did have a real interest in all those you know, stories that I was hearing. And from there, I, I started teaching Sunday school, and that was a real learning experience because as you teach as you prepare your Sunday school lessons, you're actually learning, you know, more of the scripture and having to get, you know, process, mm-hmm. digest that. So I always recommend to people, if you want to learn, teach others. Yeah. Then I started nursing training, mm-hmm. but after I came to Christ at 13, I, I just had a greater desire to learn a more scripture and to understand. In fact, there was a Sunday school teacher who later became my brother-in-law, who Court. He was very keen on Bible memorization, and he gave prizes for the ones who could memorize the most verses. Mm-hmm. And I got the prize that year.
2: Oh, okay, there you go.
1: <laughs> I don't know but I mean, I'm sure that, you know, put that into my brain computer, as, you, as I often tell people, what you put into your brain comes out later, which I certainly have experienced over the years.
2: So you had the, the seeds planted in your heart at a young age?
1: Oh, I did, from a very young age. Mm-hmm. But Mum used to read to us Yeah. Um, She'd always, you know, we'd, she'd stop and read the Bible to us before we went to school. She always, even though, at night time, even though the washing up needed doing and everything, we were seven children. Wow. She still, you know, came and, you know, read the Bible to us or encouraged us in memorization, to memorize the scripture. So, um, yeah. But but
2: not just Bible stories, as you mentioned earlier, also stories of missionaries.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, I grew, that's what I grew up on, yeah. And so, I started my nursing training when I was 17 Mm -hmm. at the Ipswich Hospital, and then I went up to a convention or a conference or something up at Mount Tambourine, and there was a challenge for a mission section of the conference, and I was at that, and there was a challenge put out, will you serve Christ, will you, you know, if you believe God's calling you to serve a mission overseas, or to mission, I can't even remember that, but i um, come forward. Well, I really believed that that's where God called me to mm-hmm. overseas missionary service. So I went forward, and and I guess they prayed for us. And then I, I sort of expected that somebody would, you know, follow up, but nobody ever did. But, but mm. God did. Oh, and um, well, that's
2: the important one. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so because I had, I had made that public confession, in a sense, public statement that God was calling me overseas. Um, that affected later decisions in my life as to like who I would marry. Mm-hmm. It had to be um, someone that was had the same similar calling. Yeah, so I did all my nursing training, believing that's what God wanted me to do. I mean, I did three certificates as it was in those days before university training. Mm-hmm. And um, I applied to a couple of mission societies. I, I was actually very interested in Africa at one point because mm-hmm. I'd known missionaries had gone there and but then I applied to an African mission society And then I got cold feet, I guess it was And then mm. for a few years I sort of not drifted I, was, I never drifted as per se But after all my nursing training I could get a job That I didn't need to be doing shift work mm. And so I was able to be involved in the church Whichever one I happened to attend And teach Sunday school and be part of a youth group And, and I took the opportunity as a nurse To go to a few places in Australia Because I could always get a job And um, so wherever I was, I'd try and get, you know, be part of the church, attend everything there was there. So Mm -hmm. that was a real growing and learning experience also. But not only that, I became friends with a lot of people around Australia. And Mm -hmm. when I went to, finally went with Operation Mobilization, a mission organization, training one, I, you know, had people praying for me, supporting me. So I've still got people all around Australia who I know from those days of death. Wow. Yeah.
2: Now at that point in your life, did you see yourself maybe being a missionary as a single woman or was marriage always something in your plans?
1: Um, well, as a normal, you know, woman in her twenties, um, I had that desire to be married. Mm-hmm. But again, it had to be the person that, you know, God wanted. Yeah. And I did start going out with a Christian then in one place and um but you know, he he didn't feel God called him mm-hmm. you know, overseas. So anyway, I broke off that and then then it took another few years and finally I started going out with a person who wasn't a Christian, which wasn't a very good idea. Well, he said he'd come to Christ, but um, anyway, I eventually broke that off and it was just at that point that um, God brought into my life after I'd broken my arm. Um,
2: oh, well, What happened with your arm?
1: I was trying to roller skate and never roller skated in my life. My balance is not all that brilliant and I fell down. And um, put my hand out and fractured my left, just near the elbow, impact fracture. So mm-hmm. that put me off work for a few weeks. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> that got I mean, I was, it wasn't as though I wasn't listening, but, you know, it was sort of a bit of a crisis point in my life. Yeah. And um, just at that point, I was staying with my girlfriend and her husband where I was working and, or near where I was working, and... Someone that they had known for ages came back from India with Operation Mobilisation, and he was over just talking to them. And he was talking about India. He'd just come back and it was like, lived and breathed India, is what I often say. Anyway, having you know heard so much, and then they invited me back again, and I just plied him with questions about Operation Mobilisation because he was you know, for me that was a real a wonder. Uh, you know, it was OM is a is a training organisation, so. Mm. I could go, you know, I still knew God wanted me on the mission field, but just a bit scared to take that, you know, that big step.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And going with OM, it meant that I, could, I was under training, and um, I was in a big organization that was going to look after me. But, mm-hmm. So we discussed lots of things, and he said, well, Gladys, if this is what you believe you need to do, then you need to fly it for OM. Which I did, and, and then they, the ones who were in charge didn't even interview me because he'd, he'd sort of interviewed me in that sense there. So, mm. you, know, you know, he'd got to know me quite a bit. So Anyway, so I went with OM in mm. 1981, and then I thought, oh, but, you know, they'd been, give, OM had given me a bit of deputation stuff, like about the ship and about India, and there was like an old film strip that you wound through as the cassette went. <laughs> you know, this is old technology.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, but each time I played the one on India, I got more and more challenged about it. And I remember one particular thing. It started off saying, um, "The church in India is a sleeping giant," and it had a massive, big church there. Um, you know, the church is there, but it's not doing much. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sure it was in some places. But you know, that was that was on the thing. I didn't say that, but that was you know on the mm-hmm. recording that I was doing. You know, putting through. So. Um, Yeah, and by the time I joined OM a few months later, I really was thinking, well, God wants me in India, and I'd heard about the ship, and I'd known about the ship for years, but I was never really interested in it. Mm -hmm. So I went and joined Operation Mobilization, went to Europe for Orient, Singapore and Europe for Orientation, and then I just thought they'd say, oh, you know, Gladys, you go here, you go there, but they didn't. They just presented everything, all the different areas of work, and said, you go and pray and ask God what you want, he wants you, so short of it is that I really believe God wanted me to go
0: to India. You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is Gladys Staines, who's sharing her life journey. She was born in Ipswich, Queensland, and then went on to serve as a missionary, along with her husband in India. Sadly, her husband and two sons were killed in 1999 while they were serving there. We're going to find out about that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1 800 Pray For Me. That's 1 800 772 936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo chatting with Gladys Staines, who's sharing her life journey. As we heard before the break, Gladys was born in Ipswich, Queensland, and then felt led by the Lord to serve overseas as a missionary. She then trained in Europe with Operation Mobilisation. Now let's find out what happened next in her life. Finally,
1: we had to make the long-term decision of two years. I went, you know, we were sort of asking each other, well, where are you going? Where are you going? And I said, well, I'm looking at this one or that one. And they were an older couple. And they said to me, Gladys, we believe you should be in India. You're an old, I was 30 by that stage. You're an older person compared to all the, you know, the 20 year olds on the teams. Mm-hmm. And you've had some Bible college training. So we believe this is where God wants you. And I said, thank you. And went and told them that's where OM place. I'm in the India. Group, that's where I'm going, went to the ship and said, No, I'm not going to come now. I believe God wants me in India, and the rest is history. Um,
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. So that's how you ended up in India. Still, you hadn't met your future husband yet?
1: No, I hadn't met my future husband yet. And and there was a man, an Indian man, who was there on the recruiting conference in in Europe. And he came, once they knew I was going to India, he came up to me and he said, Oh, showed me his address book and said, Oh, do you know these people? And there were three Australian missionaries in the area where I ended up living. And I said, oh, no, I don't know them. I mean, one of them I'd heard the name of. I'd prayed for it, and in retrospect, I'd prayed for her as a nurse for many times. Mm-hmm. And then he showed me Graham's address, and I thought, oh, he said, do you know these people? I said, no, I sort of know where he lives, but, you know, it was just offhanded. So. But he was pretty keen that he should match Graham and I up and probably had a little part in um, oh. doing it, but it was oh. really God who did it. So.
2: So he kind of yeah. played a little matchmaker in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I often say, well, you see, in India they have arranged marriages. <laughs> and I often go. say, um, you know, I had an arranged marriage. Well, it was arranged by God anyway, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's a different type of arranged marriage.
1: So then I met Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, the person from India who'd been recruiting, you know, he, he as, a, as the leaders were praying as to which part, the recruitees were going to go to of India, he said, oh, really, they wanted to send me to the south, and he said, oh, I really believe God wants Gladys in the north. And that, yeah, just because of things I'd heard, I was happy with that. I didn't even know where Orissa was or anything, but hmm. I was pretty naive, but um, God knew.
2: So yeah. your future husband, Graham, had been working there as a single man, obviously, for some time?
1: 16 years.
2: Oh, 16 years? Yep. So you eventually met Graham there in India?
1: Yeah, I met Graham in India with the OM. When I got to India and got to where I was going to be um, ministering, well, ministering, whereas the training group was sent to, you know, the our team was sent to, I met Graham sort of pretty well after I got to India.
2: And then how long so, um, later were you married?
1: Um, from the first time I met him until we were married, well, 18 months. 18, but it took, I mean, he then had to write to, um, you know, the OM leaders and ask permission for me to... For him to write to me because that was OM rules and he knew the OM rules. So, mm-hmm. um, and that, that confirmed to me this was of God because if he'd just contacted me straight off, I mean, he's 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. If he'd contacted me straight off, I wouldn't have known what to do because that wasn't the correct way of doing it in OM.
2: So there are certain protocols, or there were, of how you're supposed to approach uh, another single person? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Okay, and so he followed all the proper channels
1: yeah he did and that oh. was a real confirmation to mm-hmm. me the leaders wrote to me and said that graham had written to them the top leaders and and i just said well yeah you know they asked me to pray about it and get back to them and so because all the proper protocols had been gone and then god showed me yeah it's okay to get to know graham and yeah
2: <laughs> was that before you met or did you know each other when no he no
1: we we'd met each other and sort of said hello oh okay didn't really know each other um except i was an australian he was an australian
2: and so eventually you were married?
1: Yeah, eventually we got married in Australia in 83, yep.
2: And then what type of work did you do together while you were in India?
1: Well, I, I had difficulty, I mean, I was with OM for and in OM we, we were, I was in a girls team and we went out two by two, as mm-hmm. in, you know, another girl, and we'd take books with us and sell them door to door and try and talk to the women. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I was there on a tourist fee, so I wasn't officially a, a missionary per se at that point. And then after Graham and I got married, um, I didn't actually get a, wasn't issued a missionary visa. I could be there as Graham's wife.
2: So ironically, when you got married, you technically were not a missionary in the eyes of the law.
1: So yeah, I wasn't technically a missionary. So I didn't go preaching when I was married to Graham. I didn't go preaching. I didn't go, um, I didn't do anything apart from, I mean, I did. I, I was at home and the household and Graham taught me how to um, help him with the accounts that he was going to do and he also, I had to learn language and he also taught um, I helped him with sorting out medicines and ordering medicines for the patients at the leprosy home and Mm -hmm. I used to go out with him You know, on Sundays, I'd go out to the villages, but I wasn't actively doing missionary work, per se, because of my restrictions on my visa. So
2: So he was the one mainly helping people affected by leprosy?
1: Yeah, I wasn't. It was only after he died that I sort of took over his role, Mm -hmm. in a sense. But, um, yeah, even though I didn't have a missionary visa, because I forgave, um, yeah, he was going to throw me out of the country at that point,
2: Right, so let's kind of fast forward. So you were married to Graham for several years. You had three children, a daughter and two boys. That's right. And then, unfortunately, the tragedy struck in the late 90s. Yes,
1: in 99.
2: Please take us to uh, that point.
1: Well, uh, I mean, Graham, every year there were, um, because as, as people, more and more people became Christians, they held camps every, well, about six camps once a year Like annual Christian conventions Basically mm-hmm. And um So he was out At a camp I was, her, I was My daughter and I Was still at home Because there wasn't Space in the car to, For us all to go Because they had to Take the speakers And they had to Take all the equipment They needed for cooking And everything like that So I mean more people Had come to Christ There were certain There were a few Tensions around us I mean as As people come to Christ Then of course The enemy is not happy mm. Um yeah, but I, I don't think, you know, we certainly didn't expect this. Uh, so, obviously, people who weren't happy at people becoming Christians and sort of, I think they thought, well, if you get rid of the leader, then you get rid of, you know, mm. stop people becoming to cross. But as we know, we, that doesn't work like that.
2: Right. Yeah. So, the long and short of it, unfortunately, was that they started a fire and started on fire the car where your husband and your two boys were sleeping.
1: Well, they attacked them, basically. Mm. They came and I believe they beat the car with sticks. and They surrounded, mm. surrounded it and beat the car with sticks and then, then set it on fire. Now, some people say that, um, they, you know, whether they knew the children were there, but I think they did. And, mm. um, yeah, there's a lot of speculation about mm. one thing or the other. God knows in the long run. But yes, so the fire the car was set a lot it was you know, it was some people have said oh as yes, they were, you know, going along but they weren't, they were sleepy in the vehicle at the camp. Hmm. And they put straw on top of the roof to keep them warm because it's in the middle of winter You're oh, sleepy it. in a metal vehicle. It's yeah. Very, and there was a lot of st- freshly harvested rice straw around so they apparently stuffed stuff under the under the vehicle and they set it alight. But I mean, it was a diesel vehicle, so they must have used some other sort of inflammatory thing to start the fire. Mm. Um, and yeah, and and they were killed. Yeah. Mm.
2: I'm so s- so yeah, sorry they burned, to hear that.
1: They, burned, they, tried to, they also had locked locked the doors. You see, in the village street, um, the houses are right on the street, so mm. they'd gone through. The mob had gone through and put the barrel bolts. Which they have in those houses, barrel bolts, locked them from the outside so they couldn't get out to help. Oh, wow. um, And so some people, I mean, there were a lot of people camped in straw, Hmm. you know, straw shelters.
2: And at this point, we should say that if anybody wants to know more, they can watch the movie that was made, the least of these.
1: Yes, yeah. Movie.
2: Unfortunately, you found yourself alone with just you and your daughter after that. Yes, yeah. And you had a decision to make as to how to respond.
1: Yeah, well, God helped us to forgive straight away. I mean, I'd, I'd heard about, um, you know, like in when, when the Christians were persecuted, like in China, they the reason the church grew was that it was uh, people the christians forgave and Mm -hmm. i'd often said even 10 days before i said you know when there were there were tensions in other parts of the country but um you know as christians we need to forgive and i didn't never realize that 10 days later i'd be actually saying those words wow but um
2: so you made the difficult decision to forgive the people who killed your husband and two boys
1: well, yeah, God just helped me to do it, right? mm. That's all I can say. And, you know, then the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, you know, just the fact of act- actually saying it and then realizing the implications of it later, in a sense. But mm. um, And, you know, when you forgive, then there's no bitterness. So, mm. um, certainly sadness. I mean, I would love to still have my husband and two, two mm. sons with yes, me. Yes, of course. And there's times in life when, you know, you see other people other people's children you know like my son would be now 31 the older one and the other one be 27 so Mm. you know all that you miss out on that and i know my daughter misses my family also naturally she's married to a fine christian man with a very fine you know with his family is also keen you know following the lord so i Mm. praise god for that and i have four grandchildren
2: and as we're recording this you're about to go back to india in a few days
1: yeah, I'm going back to India, too. Well, I've, I've been asked to go and just give a little talk at um, Christian Medical College in Belaw mm-hmm. on Dr. John Scudder, but also I'm going to visit some friends and then going back to visit where I lived. I haven't been there for five and a half years. So, mm-hmm. um, back to where I lived, I haven't been for five and a half years. So,
2: yeah. so the work continues, and like you said, they wanted to stop the spread of the gospel. And they tried to stop it by killing your husband.
1: Well, but that's, I guess were... that's what they thought. I don't know what they thought. Yeah. Mm.
2: But obviously, the gospel continued to spread.
1: It does, yes, it does indeed, and there's even more people come to the Lord, and even, even in, um, in I mean, the, the fact that I forgave, um, people couldn't understand that, mm-hmm. and even more people wanted to know about this God that I worship, that I could forgive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I believe this. Lots more people come to Christ and lots more Indian people said, well, we need to um, be telling the gospel to our own people. We don't, shouldn't have to depend on overseas people to come and tell the gospel.
2: So in a uh, sense, what the evil one meant for bad, mm, the killing of your husband, mm, God turned it around and used it for good.
1: That's right, yeah.
2: For the spreading of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Any final comments for our listeners?
1: Um. Just keep following the Lord despite difficulties.
2: Mhm. And God will turn our challenges into something for His glory. It sounds like is the kind yeah,
1: of the moral yeah, of the yeah. story. Uh, yes, He will. He does. Yeah, it's not always easy, but mm-hmm. keep hanging in there with God, and you know, He's no man's debtor.
2: Thank you so much, Gladys, for sharing your story
0: with us today.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thanks. God bless you, Eric.
0: That was Eric Scatterbo chatting with Gladys Staines about her life journey as a missionary and about the tragic events that led up to the death of her husband, Graham, and their two sons, Philip and Timothy. As Eric mentioned, there's been a movie made about these events called The Least of These, The Graham Staines Story. It's now available on DVD, and if you'd like to learn more about that film, you can go to the website, theleastofthesemovie.com.au. That's the Least of These Movie. Com.au. Also, we invite you to join us again next time to learn about the making of that film. Gladys will be sharing with Rod Hopping from Heritage Films about how she became involved in the movie project and about her life since her husband and sons died in 1999. All that and more is coming up next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: One of the women said, Gladys, I don't want you to be like a stone, but I want you to be strong for Esther. So then Esther was actually sitting in the lounge at the time, and I said to her, it seems like we've been left alone. But I said, we will forgive, and she said, yes, mummy, we will. And so finally was told at 9.30 that they had died. I need you to be strong for Esther, but don't be like a stone. I understood what that meant.
0: Australian missionary Graham Staines was tragically killed along with his two sons in 1999 while serving in India. A movie about his life has been made called The Least of These The Graham Staines Story. His wife Gladys will share about the making of the movie and about her life since the tragedy. That and more next time. The Story, the story. Just Another Way Vision is Connecting Faith to Life.